Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 183. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Just when you think things in America can't get any dicier, they do. And now is most definitely a time to stay vigilant. And describe what you are seeing online. This is the worst I've seen it since uh, January 5th, probably, of 2021. Um, these are people emboldened who are ready uh, for the Civil War. That's the way they're talking right now. They're talking about uh, flipping over their flags to show that the nation is in distress. Uh, they're talking about buying more ammo and buying more guns. Uh, and they're talking about uh, how the time for organizing is passed and that they have to start going into action. That post that you just saw, uh, the top post, uh, on the Donald, which is where a lot of these people planned for January 6th. They posted maps of the tunnels underneath the Capitol. They posted their uh, stashes of weapons at hotels in Virginia. Um, that post right there on the Donald says lock and load. That's the top post that you see uh, in reference to uh, the news tonight that uh, Donald Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago has, in fact, uh, been subject to an FBI raid. That's Ben Collins, senior reporter for NBC News. He focuses on tracking QAnon and radical American extremists online. And unless you've been sleeping on the beach with no Wi-Fi for the last week, you heard that the feds delivered a search warrant at the Mar-a-Lago residence of former President Donald Trump. And President Mayhem supporters of all kinds, and especially the most radical kind, are activated. They're organizing, they're planning, they're conspiring, and they're threatening. And things in this country just got a whole lot dicier, a whole lot hotter. I've said it for years. The only way the world will ever fully respect the U.S. again is if we put Trump behind bars. There has to be accountability for all the damage he's caused to our country and the world. Now, that may or may not happen, but it seems more likely to happen now than ever before. And what's definitely more likely to happen than just a few weeks earlier is violence. Domestic violence, domestic political violence, domestic political violence from extremists, which has been, as we all saw on January 6th and remains, the single greatest national security threat in America. We've covered it on this show for years from all angles. And right now, the signs, the chats, the promises, the declarations, they're not just in secret chat rooms. They're out in the open now, on Twitter, on talk radio, coming from members of Congress. They're out in the open. Like waves of potential school shooters promising attacks before they actually make them. The signs are all there. The declarations are there. Trump supporters are talking about civil war following the FBI's Mar-a-Lago search. One wrote, are we not in a cold civil war at this point? When asked to elaborate, he replied, I am awaiting sentencing for trespassing into the Capitol. I am only being careful with my words. That declaration is from a current January 6th defendant who's waiting for sentencing. It's from Tyler Welsh Slaker, a Washington state man who's awaiting sentencing for storming the Capitol on January 6th. And he's openly talking about civil war. And he's just one of them that was actually arrested. More than a year and a half after the attack on the Capitol, some of the attackers are still at large. The FBI continues to post pictures and ask for help. They are still out there, including the domestic terrorist who planted a pipe bomb at the DNC and RNC headquarters. They're out there, and they're threatening violence again, more than any other time since January 5th, 2021. 
January 6, 2021 was not the end. It was just the most visible example of the threat we all face from enemies. Enemies that are domestic. And despite all the people arrested and all the hearings, the movement behind January 6 is not dead. It's been growing ever since. It's gone to ground. But now it's back out in the open. And January 6 is a rally cry for countless American citizens who still want to overthrow our government. Like the next mass shooting, the next domestic attack could be any minute now. And next time, things could be much worse. Threats are coming at everybody. FBI agents, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, FBI Director Chris Wray, they're all seeing a huge uptick in death threats after the raid at Trump's residence at Mar-a-Lago in Florida. Every single member of the FBI is now a target for domestic extremists. Every single member of our government is now a target. Every government building, every public gathering, every police station is now a target. Just like the insurgency that was looking to remove the American occupying forces in Iraq, the American insurgency can hit anyone, anywhere, anytime. This has been one of the hottest summers on record, especially politically. And as Trump takes the fifth this week and gets ready to declare his run for president in a campaign that will serve as an organizing mechanism for millions who still don't accept the results of the last election and are looking to take back power, as August continues, the temperature in America continues to climb and it will continue to climb into the fall, and especially into the fall midterm elections. And it could just keep on getting hotter all the way into the fall of 2024. This black summer, with Trump now firmly in the crosshairs of the Department of Justice, and Trump's supporters preparing for and promising civil war, stakes have never been higher. The threat of domestic violence is real and growing. And if you don't think so, you're not paying attention. And now more than ever, we've all got to stay vigilant. And there are some who are fighting back for all of us. This week, as we previewed on this show for months, President Biden signed the Bipartisan Act for Veterans into law. And history was made. Biden told the story of men and women who have fought for this country and are fighting still. They're fighting for their country and for their lives in the face of cancer caused by toxic burn pits. And former guests of this show, like Lindsay Church of Minority Vets of America, Senator John Tester of Montana, and advocate Matt Zeller were there inside the White House with the president. And in a tweeted video, Matt Zeller broke it down. In a couple of minutes, the president of the United States is going to sign the PACT Act right up there. History is made by people who show up. Show up. Show up. That's what we've all got to do right now. Show up. Matt Zeller is a helper, one who always shows up. And if you haven't heard our last episode with Matt and previous episodes with him and others who are fighting back, check them out wherever you got this episode. So it's done. President Biden has now signed the PACT Act for Veterans. We did it. It's a historic moment for our community and for our country, and help is finally on the way. And it was inspiring to see Zeller and the IAVA team and John Stewart and so many tireless Firewatch advocates go from sweating on the steps of the Capitol to inside the White House with the president. And it was the opposite of January 6th. From the beginning to the end, it was what good organizing, real patriotism, and innovative activism looks like. And the activists 
are the ones who made this possible. Don't get it twisted. Politicians just followed their lead. And they got it done. In an example that can inspire everyone to find ways to push back. But the work goes on. Our friends are still dying of cancer. Our friends are still dying in Afghanistan. There's still work to be done. And now we've got to get the Afghan Adjustment Act passed, as Matt talked about with me in the last episode. And we've got to get the shamefully discriminatory VA motto changed. Changing history is hard. And it's the ultimate never-ending mission. The real forever war, especially in times like this. And this good news and moment of unity that we saw at the White House, unfortunately, won't last long. Because the threat of violence outside remains and grows. But many of those leaders inside are pushing back, and others are pushing back too from all political sides now, including former Vice President and Secretary of Defense Dick Cheney. In our nation's 246-year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our republic than Donald Trump. He tried to steal the last election using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost his election, and he lost big. I know it, he knows it, and deep down, I think most Republicans know it. Lynn and I are so proud of Liz for standing up for the truth doing what's right, honoring her oath to the Constitution, when so many in our party are too scared to do so. Liz is fearless. She never backs down from a fight. There is nothing more important she will ever do than lead the effort to make sure Donald Trump is never again near the Oval Office. And she will succeed. I am Dick Cheney. I proudly voted for my daughter. I hope you will too. I'm Liz Cheney, and I approve this message. That's powerful stuff. Dick Cheney is calling out Trump. He's calling him the greatest individual threat to our republic in history. And he's right. And his message is being amplified and utilized by his daughter, Liz Cheney, who will lose her party's nomination for Congress in a primary later this month. But that's not stopping her from fighting back. Liz Cheney is buying time on Fox News to air a viral ad featuring that clip of her father you just heard condemning Trump. And it's very smart because changing hearts and minds, even in small numbers, is critical to fighting back and critical to keeping more folks from being radicalized, especially now. We need more light to contrast the heat. We need more alternatives to extremism and we need more builders to contrast the breakers. Because the breakers want to break shit. The question is, can they be stopped? And can they maybe be converted before they ever become extreme? And can we build faster than they can break? And there's been legitimate legislative progress this month, more than any time in recent history. You had the PACT Act, but also the CHIPS bill, a bipartisan bill focusing on China and investing billions of dollars in domestic semiconductor manufacturing and science research. There was also a critical bipartisan Senate vote on strengthening NATO by approving Sweden and Finland. It was approved with 95 votes out of the Senate, 95 out of 100. And that comes at a time when Ukraine needs our help and needs our focus, something we will continue to bring you on this show. Because this week, news continues to pour out of Ukraine. And Bucha officials are as close as they are ever to finally reckoning with the toll of Russia's murderous rampage in that city. They've documented 458 bodies, 366 men, 86 women, five that were in too bad condition to even determine their gender, and nine children. That's just the start of revealing what really happened in Bucha in Ukraine. But that got done in Congress. And it came after the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, the first major gun violence legislation in three decades. Before that, there was a Postal Service Reform Act and a bill on forced arbitration. And there was the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. There was even an agreement on the Violence Against Women Act, which was added to a bigger spending bill that passed. Biden has been on a run, 
and he's scoring points. He's hitting more home runs than Aaron Judge, who, by the way, is on pace to break Roger Maris's Yankee record and maybe the overall single-season home run record sent by Barry Bonds back in 2001. But despite Judge's home run flurries, the Yanks have been losing. The question is, will Joe Biden and the Democrats do the same this fall? Will Biden's wins be enough to turn the tide and produce a victory in the fall? We'll see. The Yankees' chances are a whole lot better than the Democrats. But there's one home run, one win, that might be the biggest and ultimately the most popular of all. And right now, with Mar-a-Lago and everything else going on, it seems already forgotten by most Americans. That is, unless you drive a car, ride a train, visit an airport, walk on a sidewalk, try to use Wi-Fi. Last fall, to start this run, Biden signed into law a historic bipartisan infrastructure package, one we've waited a generation to see, one that is overwhelmingly popular in America and especially among independent Americans. And now that money is out in the field all across America, building. As threats continue, as attacks continue, and as more and more things in America seem to be breaking, this historic effort is focused on building and building back better than ever. From railroads to broadband, it's vast and it's overdue. And one man's quarterback in all of it, a guy who has a unique, moderate appeal among Americans of all backgrounds, a man who for a while looked like he might be president and a man who still might be down the road, maybe as early as 2024. He's also a man who joined us on this show once before, back in December of 2019, when he was on top of the political world and just a few months before he won the Iowa caucuses. It was a big, dynamic live event we did in New York City at the Classic Car Club and our most downloaded show ever. If you haven't heard it before, go back and check it out. It's a fascinating look back at America and our world before the election was settled and before the pandemic started. Back then, I asked him what he'd do if he lost the run for president. I asked him how not being a parent might impact his view as a president and what job he'd want if he lost. Now, years later, we know. Now, he's in the cabinet. Now, he's a father. And now, he's leading in a way that uniquely adds light to contrast the heat of the political firestorms raging all across America. He's a returning champion, he's a builder, and he's the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. We built this city. We built this city on rock. he's building. Massive infrastructure investment is here. It's happening. It's real. It's rebuilding roads and tunnels in small towns and big cities. But will it matter? Will building bridges and roads help power our country through a possible recession? Will it have a huge impact on our economy? Will building bridges and roads be enough if domestic terrorists start blowing them up and blowing up our government and waging attacks pent on creating civil war? We'll find out, because as others are trying to break it down, he's trying to build it up. The fire is hot right now in America, and some want to burn it all down more than ever, more definitely than before the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago. But some, most, are focused on building. Some are focused on the future. Some are focused on light that will contrast all that burning heat. Welcome to a conversation about building. Building back better. And not just rebuilding our roads and bridges, but rebuilding our economy. Rebuilding the social fabric of our communities and rebuilding our national security. Welcome to a conversation about the future and whether or not we can build it 
while some are simultaneously trying to burn it all down. We're going to dig into it. And we're not going to break it down. We're going to build it up. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 183. We built this city. We built this city on Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, we have a very special guest, a returning champion after a long wait and a lot of change in the world. I am very happy, humbled, and honored to bring back on the program the great and powerful, now Secretary Pete Buttigieg is back on the show. Welcome back, sir. Great to have you. Thanks. Good to be back with you. So last time we talked, we were at the Classic Car Club in New York in December 2019. You came flying in. There had been a shooting across the river. It was a dramatic time. You were on top of the presidential race. Now a lot has changed. You are in the cabinet. Uh, You've got a really key role. And you're a dad. So thank you for (laughs) making the time come back on. And and I just want to start by welcoming you and ask you the same question I ask everybody. Where are you and how are you? <laughs> so I'm doing well. I'm uh, on the road at the moment. Uh, hopefully by the time my head hits the pillow, I'll be uh, where my uh, children and husband are in Michigan. And uh, I'm, I'm doing great. I have the best job in the federal government. I think, you know, the opportunity right now to be literally building the future is uh, about as exciting as it gets. Uh, not that it isn't demanding, but uh, it's there's never been a better moment to be secretary of transportation. You know, transportation is dealing with some of the toughest challenges, uh, certainly in, in the uh, modern post-war era, the shockwaves from the pandemic that are affecting everything from, from container shipping to, to airline schedules. Uh, but also we've never had these kinds of tools to work with to make our roads and, and ports and, and, and trains and transit and, and uh, airports and everything else better. So uh, I got a great team and we're pushing hard. You do and you are. I'm excited to get into infrastructure. I want to talk about Afghanistan a bit. I want to talk about the political landscape and the tone that you continue to bring. Uh, I I want to talk about the unique role you're in as Transportation Secretary, because you're kind of like Santa Claus now. Now that the bill is passed, you get to go around the country and deliver these amazing infrastructure presents to to the country. But I want to start with the PAC Act, if I can. Mm. It's an issue that I think is really important to veterans. I believe outside of the Secretary of Defense, you're the only veteran in the cabinet. And and that is significant. So, so many of these issues are personal for you in ways they aren't for other folks in, in Washington. Historic victory for our whole community. Just want to get your, your reactions to the passage of the PAC Act and also maybe the process, which I think frustrated us so much at times. And there was so much ridiculous obstructionism at the end. And at the same time, I think it showed us hope. It was kind of the opposite of January 6th. You had folks organizing outside the Capitol in good ways and positive ways and legal ways. So, you know, yeah. from your unique... From your unique vantage point, Mr. Secretary, what's your reaction to the passage of the PAC Act? Look, it's great news. And, and, and yeah, this is really personal and this is really important. And, uh, you know, every generation has had things that they come home with, every generation of veterans from, from these conflicts. And for the post 9-11 generation, burn pit exposure is, is clearly a big part of that. I remember watching the president raise this in the State of the Union address. It was exciting. Uh, and, uh, and you remember he raised it uh, as an example of something that people from both parties ought to be able to work on. Uh, and we saw that uh, as recently as June. Then something ugly happened. We saw this, this, this partisan spite uh, come in. A bunch of Republicans who had just voted uh, for it in the Senate uh, uh, turned around and voted against it. Uh, and and uh, but as you say, there's also something very poetic about what happened next, uh, where you had veterans day and night on the steps of the Capitol, uh, really just using the moral authority that that they rightly have 
to demand that, that Congress do better. And at a time when people have been very disappointed in Washington for a number of reasons, disappointed in Congress for a number of reasons, uh, you know, uh, th this showed that, that uh, you can, in fact, make that institution responsive to the people. Uh, in a way that I think uh, is a source of great encouragement and great hope, not just for those veterans who will get uh, benefits that uh, that they deserve and need, uh, but also for a country that needs to see more examples of that. I, I thought we had one good example of good bipartisan uh, work with the bipartisan infrastructure law that I worked on in, in, in this job. Uh, now another one advancing uh, for the president's signature uh, when it comes to this, uh, this burn pit legislation. And it is a testament to uh, the way that, uh, that that so many groups got out there and just said, hey, uh, this is the right thing to do. And uh, I think really did uh, shame some <laughs> some senators who managed to be on all three sides of the issue uh, to finally suck it up and do the right thing. Well, we, we also had the strategic weapon that is Jon Stewart, who might be, you know, maybe the only person in politics more popular than you and, and a couple other people. But uh, it also happened, you know, there's this juxtaposition in our existence as veterans and, and I think as citizens all the time where we're getting hit from both sides. It's happening the same week, uh, one year, you know, almost to the day of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, I know you're in the cabinet. I know you can't get into stuff on, on foreign policy and national defense as much as you used to when you were a candidate. But again, you still have a really unique vantage point. And I think as inspiring as the PAC was, PAC Act was, you know, the Afghanistan withdrawal was really crushing for so many people in our community. And now a year later, even with the Zawahiri hit, it feels like Afghanistan is Afghanistan. So can you also just, again, as an Afghanistan veteran, as the only veteran in the cabinet outside the SecDef, what, what, what are your thoughts and, and maybe also your message to fellow veterans who maybe felt betrayed by that withdrawal and felt like it was a real disappointing way for us to end such a, an agonizing commitment? You know, I, I think this is a moment when, uh, just as was happening a year ago, a lot of us are going to be checking in on each other, uh, checking in on folks from from our units that we were out there with, uh, checking in on on people that we served with, uh, because it, it does bring back so much. Uh, you know, the other thing though about America forgetting is that that that's a process that was underway uh, long before the withdrawal. I remember when I was getting mobilized in 2014, people saying, "Wait a minute, how are you getting deployed? I thought we were out of there." Uh, and I remember leaving at the end of uh, my deployment in 2014, thinking I was one of the very last ones turning out the lights, uh, only to be finding myself debating uh, what next for Afghanistan on, on a debate stage years and, and years later. So I think we as a country need to come to terms with that entire engagement. And, uh, you know, clearly we, I mean, the, the Zawahiri uh, hit, which is, by the way, an extraordinary testament to, uh, to our intelligence community. And, and uh, uh, as the president said, an indication that, that no matter how long it takes, uh, we will uh, see to it that that there is is justice for people who who perpetrated 9/11. But uh, you know, I've, uh, I was just with interns at the Department of Transportation yesterday who were not alive uh, when 9/11 happened. And I think uh, you know, whenever you have a moment like this or an anniversary like this, it has all of us uh, stepping back and 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 realizing that uh, uh, the country still has an unresolved relationship to uh, everything that has happened in the last 20 years. Hmm. We, you know, we spent 20 years investing in the infrastructure of Afghanistan. That ended, you know, and now we've got this mammoth historic infrastructure investment here in the U.S. Uh, for a long time, I used the hashtag, our infrastructure sucks. So I am so happy, uh, you know, if you weren't going to be VA secretary uh, and you weren't going to be, you know, in the defense world, I think having you in this role is really key. I think especially for those of us that are not Democrats, that we're looking to you to build bridges and to bring people together and keep that same message of hope and inspiration. And, and I really think, you know, the Democrats deserve credit for this because it, it, it provides so much hope. And I, I want to ask you a, a part of this. Obviously, there's been a focus on veterans, on things like truck driving and other translatable skills, things they did in Afghanistan and Iraq, and now they can do at home. But I want to ask you a, about infrastructure from a different standpoint, building on that. How is this infrastructure investment going to help our national security? Because I think that's a part of this that most people aren't tracking on, they're not fully understanding, and, and maybe you know one of those tremendous long-term impacts of, of the infrastructure bill. So how does this help our national security at a time when it feels like we're being hit from, from the outside and from within? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'll answer it this way. You know, Eisenhower 
uh, was the last president to oversee this level of investment in our infrastructure. And one of the reasons Eisenhower saw to the uh, the interstate highway system was he understood as we entered the next chapter of the Cold War uh, that America had to be a country that was connected. And by the way, if you, if you look at all of what Transcom does, you know, so much of what it takes to get uh, uh, equipment, material, and, and, and people to where they need to be uh, is uh, through our civilian transportation systems, uh, whether we're talking about rail, whether we're talking about shipping, whether we're talking about uh, airports, roads, all of it. And so there is a direct nexus uh, to this. You know, I, someone I've been in touch with a lot lately who has reminded me of how important this is, is my counterpart in Ukraine, the Ukrainian infrastructure minister. Uh, who has uh, told me about and shown me uh, uh, pictures of examples of uh, everything from the, the heroic role of the railway workers who have kept uh, that, that system running, even when being directly attacked, uh, to uh, how they've been able to, to land aircraft on their highways. Just incredible things going on out there. Um, but also a, a reminder of how your civilian transportation networks are, are so important to national security. So there's the direct national security uh, uh, consequence. And then there's the indirect piece, right? Which is just in terms of strategic uh, positioning, in terms of competitiveness, in terms of economic security, you look at the rate of investment in China. Uh, that is not because the Chinese Communist Party's top echelons is full of infrastructure nerds like me. It is because they understand in a very hard-edged, uh, raw power sense, uh, why those kinds of investments in having good uh, roads and fast trains, everything else that goes with it, make you more competitive in the 21st century. Mm. You know, I, I think there's a 110-year-old bridge down the road from my house that's now under construction. And I'm seeing the impact of this investment every day. Anyone, in, especially I think in rural areas and suburban areas, mm -hmm. and now in, in urban areas, you're seeing it. I, I want to ask you another part of this that I think is underappreciated. Um, our country is so divided, and there are people, including many that we serve with, that are teetering on the edge of extremism. They're joining the Oath Keepers. They're feeling like the government doesn't include them. They're fighting the government. Um, does this, I, I think this does help us actually battle extremism in the same way you couldn't kill everybody in Iraq and Afghanistan, but if you created jobs and opportunities and yeah. a road to the future, you could battle extremism. So can you pull that apart? Do you see this as having a real impact on people who would otherwise be politically totally opposed to you and the president and maybe just opposed to even government in general once it comes to jobs and investment in their own community? Absolutely. And I think that's a really important uh, way to think about it. Having this, this knockdown, drag out wrestling match, grappling with each other uh, right on the edge of a cliff, so much so that in the, in the course of the, 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 the wrestling, sometimes uh, you know, a foot or an arm goes over the cliff. And part of what we can do just by delivering, just by getting the taking care of the basics is we're still going to have ferocious arguments as a country, but we can we can move that wrestling match six feet away from the cliff face and have it there and not have the risk of all of us tumbling right over it. I use that metaphor to, in my mind because I think about how, if, especially for a younger generation that has witnessed mostly policy failure over uh, over their adult lifetimes, uh, to see things working will help build trust. Uh, us delivering just the basics, I think, is is a very important part of how you establish trust in our country, trust in the ability of good government to get things done. Uh, not the argument over how big or how small, but just just uh, can it be good government uh, mm -hmm. and trust in in uh, you know our, our democratic society that is badly needed and part of the antidote to the terrifying forms of extremism that, that, uh, uh, that we saw, you know, expressed most extremely on, on January 6th, but, but, but in so many ways. Well, and it's also tone. And I think that that's part of what you have uniquely captured the attention of the world with is your unique tone, your personality, your approach, your family. You are the next generation of political leadership in America and, and you have risen so rapidly. You know, I, I want to ask you about that because as an independent, I look across the landscape. We don't see people who appeal to us. It looks now like Biden may not run, right? And and for a long time, I think we talked about this the last time you were on the show, you you seemed like the heir apparent to the moderate uh, side of the Democratic Party. If he doesn't run, will you run for president again? 
I don't view myself as the heir to, to, to anything. I view myself as a guy with a job to do right now. And, and you know, the president has trusted me with the responsibility of, uh, of seeking to deliver his vision uh, and deliver on, on the, this funding. I mean, Congress gave us this administration more than a trillion dollars to work with. About half of that's transportation. Uh, and I've, I've got more than I know this sounds like the answer I'm supposed to give, but it's also true. Uh, I've got my hands full with this day job that is going to take everything I've got. It's going to test the productive capacity of this country. And, uh, you know, the, the, the campaign side is just not uh, on my mind. My, my, my understanding and expectation is the president will run again. I'm looking forward to supporting him. Uh, but uh, uh, campaigns and elections is, is not where most of my energy is going right now. Uh, and that's what I expect you to say. Um, but but I also uh, know that we're all looking at what could be, you know, maybe an even more divisive election than last time. If Biden doesn't run and hypothetically it's Kamala Harris versus Donald Trump, um, you know, we're going to be looking for third party voices. There's this movement from Andrew Yang. Can, can I ask you your analysis of where independence can go right now. Andrew Yang's got this new party. Um, you have been kind of a postpartisan voice. What's your landscape on the viability uh, or avenues for people who are independent, unaffiliated, not even third party, but just folks who say yeah. none of the above, who are often the people who you appeal to? Look, I think a lot of it is coming back to the things that we want, not because we belong to a certain party or ideology, but because they just make sense. And I think that's true of the stuff I get to work on every day uh, around infrastructure. I think certain things that uh, uh, became partisan or political don't have to be from public health to, to uh, fighting the climate uh, challenge. Uh, and I think the more we focus on that, the more we focus on the ideas and the and the results, the better off we're going to be. And I do think there are a lot of people who feel uh, a little bit homeless when when they're they're looking at the at the current uh, party alignments. Uh, but uh, but that's exactly why we need to uh, you know organize ourselves and uh, and, and our, our political sides around the ideas and the results we want to get, not the other way around. Uh, and I think when you do that, I mean, it, it meant the world to me to be able to see people kind of cross over. Um, in, uh, in in campaigns that I've been uh, uh, part of in the past, uh, uh, politically or policy wise in this administration, it's it's been exciting to see Republicans cross over and join Democrats to get the infrastructure law done. Um, and uh, you know it's a good idea because even some of the ones who voted against it are writing me letters now asking for funding. And, and you know we're not going to be political in, in where the funding goes. We're, we're going to send it to where it's needed. Um, and so I do think there's a well, I'm not I'm not minimizing just how uh, ugly some of the the divisions are right now. Um, and, uh, and so how frightening some of the extremism is right now, but I do think we can get past it because most of the people I know, uh, whether they belong to the same political party as me or not, uh, are just ready to get stuff done. Hmm. Well, we need, we need leaders who can get stuff done. You've been a leader who does that. Since last time I spoke to you, uh, you were you know on track to be president. And if you were elected president, you would have been one of the first presidents in a long time who who wasn't a parent. That has changed now. So how has being a dad changed your your leadership? I mean, it changes everything. First of all, it's very humbling uh, because uh, you know the the two most important people in in, in my life now uh, these uh, uh, these one year old, soon to be one year old twins don't know or care what my day job is. They don't care uh, if I'm supposed to be at the, at the White House after breakfast. They they <laughs> they need to eat, um, and uh, and you know they they just kind of reorient your 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 entire way to think about the world. The biggest thing is they change your relationship to the future because you're not just uh, raising humans that you love. You are on some level uh, preparing your replacements in this world. And uh, and you think about that in terms of the values you're demonstrating for them, but also how you're taking care of them. So, uh, you know, all these things I might have believed academically or theoretically about how we as a country need to do a better job supporting parents, uh, supporting kids and supporting families. Uh, now I feel it at a whole new level. And uh, it's... Uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's, you know, it's kicking my ass a lot of the time, <laughs> um, but, uh, um, but, but that can be healthy too. You, you thought you didn't get sleep before when you're in the military or on a campaign trail. Now it's a, a whole new level. I got to tell you, deployment had nothing on this for sleep deprivation. It's, <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's really something. Well, it's important because you continue to be a role model. And um, I think that that's part of what has really attracted so many people beyond partisan lines to you and your leadership and, and all the work you do. And you're bringing a unique star power to infrastructure, which I think is really important. Um, if we've had any 
tech challenges during this, I blame it on the need for for broadband investment, which is something that you've been <laughs> trumpeting for a long time. So thank you for for bearing the challenges. Two quick fire final questions. I'm going to ask you the question I ask of all our guests to finish. But if you had to choose one before that, before we get to that, trains, planes, automobiles. If you had to pick one, I'm a fan of all of them. I am a huge advocate oh. for, for rail. Uh, it's something that I'm so excited about seeing a real investment in rail here in America. But if you had to pick, you know, I've got two little boys who are obsessed with anything that moves. If you had to pick planes, trains, or automobiles, which is your favorite secretary, Mr. Secretary? Uh, I, I love them all, but there's, there's something about the magic of flight that just, uh, that's what spoke to me when I was a kid. And, and I, I think, uh, uh, just whatever we do as a, as a species, the ability to to soar through the air, there's just nothing like it. Well, that was the easy question. Now, here's the hard one that divides America. You got to pick one. I had Secretary uh, Senator Tester on to answer this, and everybody else in between. If you uh, had to pick one, pancakes or waffles? We go pancakes. We go pancakes. The, the advantage of the waffle, obviously, is the way it can collect the syrup because of the structure of the waffle. Um, by the way, I'll have you know that uh, the majority of institutional waffle irons in uh, cafeterias are made in uh, South Bend, Indiana, fun fact. Um, but for all of that, the, the great thing about the pack, pan, more things in it. You can put blue, and yes, you could technically do that with a waffle, but it's, it's not the same. See, I, I knew I would get a very uniquely, uh, I used to say Mayor Pete, but now Secretary Pete answer. When I asked you the Peeps question two years ago, you had a fantastic <laughs> answer. And and on this one, you didn't disappoint as well. But I am grateful for your leadership. Thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you for enduring the check challenges that I know you were working hard to overcome. And thank you for being a helper, for being out there and showing our kids and everyone what's possible uh, for, for being a, a true role model and, and for being a patriot in the best form. Of it. We really appreciate all you're doing, and, and I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for the kind words, and thanks as always in particular for everything you're doing to be a voice for our generation of veterans. It uh, matters more than ever. Well, we're rooting for you, and I think we said that before, and even now more than ever. Fix the bridges. Fix them all. We're rooting I'm for you. <laughs> Get out there and, and stay vigilant. We've got your back. I'm on it. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Pete Buttigieg is a fascinating person and in a very interesting political position. I long ago predicted on this show that Biden would be the nominee for the Democrats and that he could uniquely beat Trump. Now, I know it's a couple years out, but right now, my money's on Buttigieg. I don't think Biden's going to be running again in 2024 for any number of reasons. And nobody is better positioned to inherit the moderate mantle of the Democratic Party and draw independent Americans and build it back better than Pete Buttigieg. He's not an independent American, but he will have unique appeal to those of us who are. Maybe more than any other Democratic candidate on the playing field. And regardless of his party affiliation, one thing is obvious. He's a patriot. He's a leader, he's a builder, and he's definitely a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there building bridges of all kind, and we see it every day. And we saw many of them recognized this week at the White House at the signing ceremony for the PAC Act. And one of them in particular. So many of you here today remind us that we have fought for this for so many years. Veterans, surviving families, surviving family members, advocates like Rosie Torres and John Stewart. And John, I want to thank you again. I, uh, I wanted to come up and hang out in the Capitol steps. The Secret Service said I'd be a pain in the neck. They wouldn't let me do it. So at least we did a little video on there. But, uh, but what you've done, John, matters. And you know it does. I, I, you should know. It really, really matters. You refuse to let anybody forget. Refuse to let them forget. And we owe you big, man. We owe you big. John Stewart is a helper. Yeah, he's a celebrity. But most of all, he's a guy who gives a shit and who works relentlessly for what he believes in and doesn't back down. 
And that's what the best of America is all about. That's what we saw over the last couple of months from him and so many others. And it inspires so many others. That's what being a helper is all about. So check the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and share yours with me. I'll share them with others and I'll maybe mention them here on the show, but we all need to continue to look for the helpers. And while you're on social, of course, play Guess the Guest every Wednesday night. I gave you a chance this time to guess the guest by only showing you a silhouette of Pete Buttigieg with Lizzo. Yes, did you know Pete Buttigieg knows Lizzo? He does. He's almost as popular as Lizzo in some circles. Not quite, but almost. Anyway, guess the guest every Wednesday night, and you can win fame, fortune. Well, you'll just win a lot of social media credit, and maybe I'll mention your name here. But you can be a part of the game, play guess the guest, look for the helpers, and of course, go to independentamericans.us. Check us out and share it far and wide. That's how you can help keep this show going. That's how you can help us continue to bring light to contrast to heat. And you can also see my conversation with Secretary Pete there. He was in an airport with shitty Wi-Fi, which I hope he's working on right now as a part of this whole infrastructure effort. But you can see the video. You can see my video with Secretary Pete and video from all our recent episodes and with recent episodes with Matt Zeller, Senator John Tester, and others who helped pass the PAC Act. You can also go back and check out episode 27 from 2019 with then-candidate Mayor Pete Buttigieg. We shot it like a TV show. The video is excellent, and it's a really cool flashback into a couple years ago. And you can also find more ways to get involved and get all our past episodes and see more of my reaction to the PACT Act. I joined MSNBC live right after the signing. All of that is at independentamericans.us. And when you get there, take a minute to check out our Patreon community. It's a way you can support this show. We don't have big corporate sponsors. It's Patreon members. It's free subscribers. It's you spreading the word that keeps this going. So check out our Patreon community. Be a part of it. And you can also get the gear. Another way you can support this show and support independent Americans, support those who are trying to build back better instead of just trying to break it down. Rep for the independent Americans community. Go to independentamericans.us where you can see the merch. Independent Americans and Righteous Media will continue to build on the five eyes and all our podcasts and everything we do. And if you're new here, the five eyes are like the bedrock that we build our infrastructure on top of. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And some of the best builders around are making it happen. The Righteous Media team, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. And always helping us build the future are my amazing wife and two boys. School is only a month away, and this week, my boys got haircuts, major haircuts. They had really long kind of COVID hair, and now they got buzz cuts. They're not quite Marines. They're not quite John Tester, but they're looking sharp. So we got that knocked out. We also went to the beach one day and saw a bear. We saw a gigantic bear, which is just worth mentioning because seeing a four or 500 pound bear is pretty amazing. My son's seventh birthday is coming up and that is going to be awesome. We're going to be celebrating it all week, but I want to take this opportunity to say happy birthday, Ryder. I am so proud and honored to be your dad and I can't wait to celebrate all month long. And there's also more reason to celebrate, not just my son's birthday. Thanks to you. Thanks to many of us. There is another reason to celebrate. Chaco Taco may not be dead. Yep, you heard it here. Activism works. I told you a few weeks ago, Klondike set the internet on fire when it said that our beloved Chaco Taco, that magnificent frozen treat, would be discontinued. And it turns out this week, Klondike reversed course, saying that it may be coming back eventually. Klondike tweeted at a despondent fan this week, We heard our fans. And we're hoping to bring this favorite treat back to ice cream trucks in the coming years. I don't know if that's what Klondike sounds like, but I feel like it should. As you know, after Klondike said Chaco Taco was getting the axe, people went nuts around the country. We talked about it on this show, and Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut even joked that he was planning to introduce legislation to invoke the Defense Production Act to mandate the continued manufacture of Chaco Tacos. So look. 
We made noise. We organized. We pushed back. And we won. This was yet another big win for organizers in America. Advocacy works, people. We're not done yet, but it looks like we've accomplished our mission and Chaco Taco has been saved. Stay tuned. And America may be more divided than ever before, but we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are fighting to change that every single episode, adding light to contrast to heat of all the other political shows. And if you're among those millions of Americans who are independent, this is your place. If you're a Republican or a Democrat and you're not a diehard partisan, this is your place. If you're just a concerned American who cares about the future of your country, this is your place. All are welcome. We invite you to join us, be a part of the solution, and spread the word. And thanks to you, I told you we hit 28 on the Chartable Top Podcast chart. We've actually been as high as four. And with this episode with Pete Buttigieg, we might be there again if you help us share it. Because we do it with no marketing budget and totally organic growth. Because people like you are sharing shows like this. So share this show and help us spread the Independent Americans movement. I've told you we've got more big guests coming up. And if you haven't already, subscribe for free right now. You can do it on Apple Podcasts. You can do it on Spotify. Or you can go to goindy.us. It's a shortcut. And you go ahead and subscribe and you get it for free every Thursday. We'll help you stay informed and we will help you stay vigilant. And we'll do it alongside the other Righteous Media podcasts. Check out the Firefighters with Rob Sarah and B-Dorm with Jericho Turner and Don Elevert. They've got a new episode up that is excellent. Keep sharing those and keep sharing this show. Because as we've seen, especially in this last couple of weeks, hope is the oxygen of democracy. And it can be the alternative to those who want to rip it all down. And hope is coming in bursts. The bursts may seem fleeting, but they are there. And we saw that this week with the signing of the PACT Act for Veterans. We see it now with infrastructure. And we see it with the admission of two new members of NATO. And it's that hope that's going to get us through whatever comes next. And we got to have high hopes for our future if we're going to make it happen. Mama said, don't give up. It's a little complicated. This song was Pete Buttigieg's campaign song when he ran for president. And I've loved it before and I've loved it since. We've dug into some very serious and daunting stuff on this show. But we've also always kept the hope and given you reason to be hopeful. So I ask you to share that hope with others, especially now. But stay vigilant, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you are not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant, and we're all in this together. From the country roads of Kentucky to the dirty tunnels of New Jersey, from the bridges of Washington State to the trains of Chicago to the highways of Florida, We are all in this together. From FBI Director Chris Wray to Dick Cheney and Liz Cheney. From Starship to Panic at the Disco. From Secretary Pete Buttigieg to you. We are all in this together. And we can build it back better. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraini. Happy birthday, Ryder. And stay vigilant, America. Powered by Righteous Media.